It's a new year and a new podcast episode. I'm John Canzano. Buckle up. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 Bowl season, a little basketball, a foot cramp, some New Year's resolutions, and a peek at the 2023 college football season. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to a 2023 edition of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. I'm John Canzano, and I currently have a foot cramp. I'm telling you, I'll get to this in a second, but you can read me at johnconzano.com. That's where you can read me. Uh, I'm going to give you in-depth reporting and analysis you can't get anywhere else. And you can find John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. Pac12hotline.com is where you find all of his great work, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. And Wilner, I got to tell you, 2023, New Year's resolutions, all that. I'm one of these honks that has started 2023 by saying, hey, I'm going to work out more. I'm going to do five days a week, all this stuff. And I'm telling you, I am. Uh, I must be dehydrated. I am cramping. I broke into a cramp right as the podcast started to record. Now, do you have a New Year's resolution, John Wilner? Your body is revolting against you? <laughs> yep. It's basically. <laughs> That's your... your your body's resolution is to revolt. Um, you, my resolution is this: it's not very, it's not very exciting, and it's one that uh, has come up frequently. Is to get more sleep. Mm. That I, I just, I have got to strive for seven hours. You know, five or six nights a week, I got to get seven hours, and it's I'm rarely at that point, and that's that's my biggest thing. Sleep is everything, man, and. I don't get enough of it, so that's my big resolution. I had a I had a physician friend that uh, I asked one time. I said, you know, I want to be healthier. What are some things I can do? And I thought he would start with exercise or whatever. He started with sleep. He said sleep, yeah. and then his second thing was hydration. And apparently, the cramps that are going on in my foot and my hammy are telling me that I'm dehydrated and uh, need uh, I need more I need more fluids and I I also need more sleep. I should make that my second resolution. So how did it go? Like your first couple nights of 2023 did you get that seven hours well not in succession um but and i have i have an excuse we've got an we've got a new dog 10 weeks old and uh he's uh he's he's active in the middle of the night so uh it's it could be till maybe february 1st before i can really buckle down in the resolution because by then he should be you know 15 weeks and hopefully sleeping in the crate regularly through the night we'll see fingers crossed bless you for uh for getting a dog and trying to get some sleep at the same time uh, uh, yeah look we're no, gonna talk crazy about... wait wait yeah, hold yeah. on a second are you're not cramping up because of the uh your 5k run <laughs> I, knew, uh, I knew you were going on there your vacation i knew okay so here's how the 5k thing went down we did not do the 5k as a family i am oh. determined that we are going to do a fun run, a 5K. I couldn't get buy-in from all family members. I'm determined that we will do a 5K fun run as a family before the 4th of July. That is my goal. Everybody's on notice in this household. I might be the only one that needs to train for it, but that is our determination. We, I got great, by the way, great feedback from our listeners who gave me advice, who told me what to do. And if you didn't hear the original episode... Essentially, uh, I was springing it on the family here during the winter break that we were going to do a 5K fun run. Uh, the kids did not go for it, and I got voted down, and uh, we ended up 
we ended up uh, going for a walk along the coast instead. But okay, it, but it does, that's so you, not so the, the same. Fan, the kids revolted. The kids revolted, kind of like your body's revolting against it, you. Yeah, look, I'm detecting a theme for you in 2023. I'm under no illusion. Okay, like bedtime at our household, and our youngest two daughters are six and eight. I literally will try to get them to get in bed. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. Get in bed. Lay down, lights out, get ready, get in a get in a sleeping position. I will try. I'll try to bribe them. I'll try to get them with Simon Says. I'll try to, and then Mom will come down the hallway and go get in bed, and they all just scramble. So I know where I am on the respect meter in my own household with my kids. So I was, yeah, I was not getting buy-in on the 5K run, nor was I getting the kids to get in bed using Simon Says. You got five, six months. Uh, get that 5K. I'm sure there's about. 50,000 5Ks in, yeah. in the Portland area in the next five months, too. Yeah, we got to find one. I, I actually want to go somewhere sunnier and warmer to run it because I think I'll, I'll, I'll get a better result from the kids getting up and running. There, Nobody wants to run in the rain and the cold. And we all know, look, Oregon is green and beautiful, but it's green and beautiful for a reason because it rains and rains and rains until about uh, April or May and early June is even sometimes dicey. So, um, you know, I think we'll go do that fun run somewhere like maybe we'll go to Phoenix or Tucson or maybe uh, we'll go to uh, the Bay Area or somewhere else. Wilner. I don't there know. Somebody has a 5K fun run out there that you know about that looks like it's manageable, pretty flat course. I won't get a lot of blowback from the kids. Send it my way. Um, let's jump into the bowl picture. Wilner, Were you Pac-12? able to watch? Did you watch most of or all of the seven Pac-12 games? Yeah, I watched them all. And I was, uh, I was, and by the way, I was six and zero against the spread in my first six games. So I for sure tuned into that seventh game, which was the Rose Bowl, which I lost. That was the lone loser in my in my stable of bowl picks. I had the conference going four and three in bowl games. They went three and four. Just just your general takeaways, Wilner. Um, you know, you see Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington getting wins. Washington State losing to Fresno State. Obviously, UCLA, very disappointing loss to Pitt. USC got got uh, caught at the wire by Tulane. And then Cam Rising's injury in the Rose Bowl. Utah loses. Uh, they don't get full circle closure for their season. What were your takeaways? You know, the first thing I thought was it it's all relative, right? And the Pac-12 actually, even with a 3-4 and four record, that was better than it's been in the postseason. Well, last year was 0-5, and, and the year before that it was 0-2. So it's kind of like a baby steps deal. Uh, I did think the way it ended, like the the Pacific Northwest schools, they they held up their end of the bargain. But the last three games, the Sun Bowl, UCLA blows a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, USC blows a 16, 15-point lead uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter. And then Utah basically loses rising, has two breakdowns on defense, and kind of collapses in the second half against Penn State. So the fact that those three losses all came in succession as the last three games, and two of them were, you know, New Year's Day six games, that was, you know, for the conference, that was a bad way to end it, that's for sure. It was, but I kind of, look, I think the narrative on the season is that the Pac-12, you know, didn't have a playoff team, so didn't have a true number one, in, but it had good depth. And I think that was on display in the Vegas Bowl, in the Alamo Bowl, and in the Holiday Bowl. I mean, that's real the true depth of the conference comes through. And I think that's really where the conference made hay. I was not at all surprised that Fresno State got Washington State. I think that was a trap game for the Cougars. 
I think Fresno State circles that game on its calendar. The Mountain West champ against, you know, the fifth or sixth or seventh best team in the Pac-12 is always going to be a problematic game for the Pac-12. Uh, and and I was just, I think I was most surprised by the way that Penn State closed out the Rose Bowl. No Cam Rising in the game uh, changed the complexion of the game. And Rising means so much to Utah emotionally, right? He's their leader. Uh, it was just a little surprising to see the breakdowns on defense. You don't you don't see opponents getting eighty plus yard plays on Utah very often. And Penn State had what two of them in the uh, in the second half. So the big surprise for me, frankly, I just thought USC a co- complete collapse. Right, it's forty five thirty, four minutes left. One mistake after another on defense, on special teams, on offense. They give up a safety that turns out to be the decisive points. Just a a, a terrible finish for for the Trojans. You know, they USC Tulane is a good team. Uh, USC should not lose that game, uh, in my opinion, under any circumstances, and they just totally blew it. I picked Tulane in that game, and I picked him in a close game because I thought I suspected USC wouldn't psychologically show up for that game after flirting with the playoff, but they did, and that wasn't the problem. It it wasn't a, you know, do they want to be there question. The question was one that faced USC all season long. Can they stop anybody? And that defense could not stop Tulane. And when Tulane stole a possession late in the game, it just tipped that game on its head. And you could see it all over Caleb Williams' face on the sideline. When Tulane is driving late, Everybody watching at home knew Tulane was going to win the game. Caleb Williams knew Tulane was going to win the game. I mean, he it was evident that they knew where it was headed. And I got to be honest, like George Kwiatkowski and the Pac-12 can sit around and they can say, hey, we're going to treat uh, USC and UCLA as full members. We're going to be collegial and all that. I, I'm sorry, but the, there were a lot of Pac-12 fans out there that I think were doing a little more than snickering at USC and UCLA in the way they lost their bowl games. And oh, yeah. going, hey, those losses aren't on the Pac-12. Those are Big Ten losses. There was a whole bunch <laughs> of that going on, and I don't blame the fans for doing that. No, I don't either. I don't. And, and you know, those two steam, teams have been together since June 30th in ways you know we hadn't seen before, and they were together on the field. I thought they're so similar. You know, the styles of play with the great offenses, the you know terrific quarterbacks, and bad defenses that ca- kept getting them at the wrong times, right? And UCLA ended up losing three of their last four, couldn't stop Pitt. Uh, and, and SC finishes with those back-to-back losses to, to Utah and Tulane. So uh, it was, you know, given where things were on November 1st for those schools, where it ended is is a huge disappointment for both of them. I think that to me, you know, if you take the regular season and the bowl season kind of – it in totality, it was kind of a resurgence for the Pac-12, right? I mean, there's no question the league was on a downward trajectory in 2018, 19, 20, 21, bottomed out in 21, 0-5 in the bowls, 0-5 against BYU. And this, to me, was a little bit of a rebirth. And it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like when a coach comes in and takes over a team that's like 2-10, and 10, that first season – there's progress. It may not be all the way to 10 and two, but you go from two and 10 to six and six. This is kind of what that, to me, that, that felt like for the PAC 12 as a whole, like this is the first step in what could be a little bit of a rebirth. And next year, you know, and we can talk about 2023, but it, it looks like it should be a pretty entertaining league next year. And this momentum probably should continue. 
Yeah, I think it sets up nicely for the conference if you look into the future. And let me let me throw two questions at you, Wilner, on that note. One is, let's say you have to present one Pac-12 team that is going to represent the conference in a bowl game next week. Who is your pick? Who would you trust to go out there and win a game, playing at full strength a week from now? Not no, that's a great question. Not knowing anything about the opponent. Nothing about the opponent. You got to pick a team and go. Look, um, here's the team that we're we're throwing out there and putting forth. I mean, it would be either Washington or Oregon State, right? I mean, I would, uh, especially if I didn't know if Cam Rising was going to be uh, available. But it would be one of those two. I mean, the Beavers were just, they were so solid, right? I mean, two out of their three losses were by a field goal to to teams that won eleven games. Uh, they didn't lose any games they shouldn't have lost. They totally dominated Florida. I was so impressed with with Oregon State's season, especially given that they didn't have elite quarterback play. I, I if I'm the Pac-12 and that situation were in front of me, I would be fine with with either the Beavers or the the Huskies. Yeah, I think I lean Huskies right now. I just think they are. Uh, I, I think they're playing a little bit better than Oregon State, you know, and I think Oregon State. Getting in that game against Florida, look, credit to the Beavers. They took care of business, did what they should do to a team that uh, isn't playing at full strength. And uh, But I think Washington right now, to me, ends the season playing the best football. And I think Oregon State's right behind them. And then I'd put Utah and Oregon and USC in that group behind the Beavers. But uh, that raises the question of next year, because I think a, a lot could happen in the spring. Um, Cam Rising could announce that he's coming back at Utah. I kind of feel like he's going to do that. Uh, and I think given that he's a marginal pro prospect, I think there's a good chance Cam Rising says, hey, I have some money that I can make if the collective in Salt Lake City has its act together. Um, what do you think happens in 2023? Who's your way too early, you know, preseason Pac-12 champion, or maybe give me your one-two punch in the Pac-12? I mean, we'll know a lot in two weeks, right? Because this January, I believe Monday the 16th, is that what it is? Monday the 15th, that is NFL Draft Declaration Day. Uh, so we'll know a lot then. And then two days later, the transfer portal closes, so no, players cannot can no longer enter the portal after, I think it's January 18th. So by that week, we should have a real good idea about the rosters. I But I would, if right now, if I'm picking a team to win it next year, I'd pick the Huskies. Uh, you know, Penix is coming back. Uh, they've got a lot of talent uh, at this receiver position and such a great scheme on offense. And they've had, I was real impressed with their defense, the way they made progress. You know, it's a good contrast to USC and UCLA. None of those teams could stop anybody on October 1st, but by December 1st, the Huskies had, had made a lot of progress on defense and the LA schools hadn't. So uh, I would pick Washington sure. and number two, Probably the Ducks. I mean, with Knicks coming back, Oregon's got a lot of good players. I was impressed with the way Oregon handled the Holly Bowl. I don't know about you, but to me, that struck that seemed like a letdown opportunity, right? For a team that was, you know, had had aspirations, you know, midway through November that got crushed with those two late losses, and then they still played well in the Holiday Bowl. I was I was very impressed with Oregon. Yeah, and I think down the stretch it was fun. You could tell by Dan Lanning's expression. He had this big smile on his face when they scored that winning touchdown at the end, and Bo Nix obviously made that play call, made a nice play, but you could tell how much it meant to them. But if I'm looking forward, uh, I still have to pick Utah until somebody beats Utah. I, I just think, I, I expect Cam Rising's going to come back. I just don't 
see him declaring for the NFL draft. And if there's money there in the NIL world for him, I think he joins Michael Penix Jr. He joins Bo Nix. He joins Caleb Williams. All of a sudden you look up. Um, you've got DJ uh, Uyunglele coming back or uh, coming to Oregon State. So I think you have like a quarterback stable, not to mention what Colorado might do that is going to be fantastic. So I'll take Utah in my top two. And then, uh, you know, I, 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 I have just this, this feeling about USC taking a step back next season. And the USC fans are going to think I'm a hater, but I, I still think they're one of the top two or three teams in the conference. But I'm going to put them right now in the back burner. So I'm going to take Utah, and then I'm going to take Washington. And then in the group right behind them, I'm going to put Oregon State, USC, and Oregon in that group. I think the top five right now are really solid. I think we have a you know, a chance that next season in the Pac-12 they, that those teams could cannibalize each other. But I, if I'm George Klyovkov, I'm looking at the top five teams coming back, Deion Sanders coming into the conference, the chance that Arizona and Washington State could be a little improved. And you're thinking you have a pretty good conference there. Yeah, well, and ASU should be better because there's some stability uh, and they got a coach in there who I think knows what he's doing. So that's the issue, though, right? If the bottom is better, if Colorado's not a pushover uh, and Arizona's, the Arizona schools are better, you know, and there's not as many easy wins. And that affects what happens at the top of the conference. To have a really good top, you got to have a weak bottom. There was a weak bottom this year. So it will be real interesting to see how things play out uh, on the eat-your-own scale. But to me, if especially if Rising comes back, Pac-12 could open with three teams, four teams in the top 12, 15 of the AP poll, right? At USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon all could be top 15. That And we haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, I think the preseason poll is going to be super interesting. Um, you know, men's basketball in the Pac-12 – Let's talk a little bit of hoops here, Wilner, as we kind of pivot, I think, in the next uh, couple of few weeks as we'll be talking more basketball. But huge matchup with Arizona and UCLA looming on the 21st of January in Tucson. Uh, Utah looking like, you know, is, is it for real? Is it not? I don't know. And Bobby Hurley's got Arizona State playing dangerous enough that you have to consider them as a potential tournament team or maybe a team that could cause some chaos in the postseason bracket, but what are you seeing with men's basketball in the Pac-12? Man, I did not have Utah on my bingo card for uh, NCAA tournament bids, but they, they, you know, they played well and they got that big win over Arizona, which is going to go a long way uh, towards getting them in the NCAAs. To me, the big thing is, you know, it, there's clearly two teams that are better than everybody else. Uh, the question is that next group, Utah, ASU. Maybe Oregon, maybe Colorado, maybe SC, right? Maybe Washington State. Are any of them good enough to string together a bunch of wins and avoid bad losses so they could get in, you know, secure a tournament bid? Utah's in the best shape of that group. But with with the Pac-12, half the battle is avoiding bad losses, right? You lose to Cal or Oregon State, given their net rankings, and that's just going to kill you. Colorado took a huge step back, I thought, with that that loss to Cal. That could end up keeping them out of the NCAA. So I just don't know if that middle group of five or six teams or second tier, if anybody's good enough to, you know, string together a bunch of wins. Yeah, and Oregon's facing the same problem, I think, that it faced last season where it had a bunch of players come in and out. There was no continuity, and Dana Altman looked very frustrated 
last year in Vegas during the conference tournament. He looked like he was a guy that was ready for the season to end. And I feel like he's going through some of that same stuff again at Oregon this season. And and I never count the guy out because he could get into the conference tournament and he can, you know, he can beat anybody on a given day. He's such a good coach. But uh, I'm disappointed where Oregon is. Um, I think uh, in that middle group as well, Oregon State is sitting in that middle group at about 500 overall. But, um, you know, I just think they're just they're too far away right now. And I I really question why Oregon State didn't capitalize more on the Elite Eight berth two seasons ago. It feels like they just lost that opportunity. It feels like that was if you cast that against basically the last three seasons, it was like three this three week miracle, and the rest of it is entirely forgettable and worthy of uh, terminating a head coach. If you if you were to remove those three weeks, it's hard to make the case that Wayne Tingle should have a job, right? I mean, it's and Oregon State is a tough gig. There's no doubt about that. And I think the guy's a good coach, but it is just so different. That's such an outlier stretch compared to everything else. Uh, it makes it makes that run seem even more uh, insane. Yeah, and I, I think I, you know, I, I actually think he would have at the end of that season been terminated, but they just caught fire and they go yep. to the Elite Eight. And I think Scott Barnes, the athletic director, has no choice but to extend Wayne Tinkle. And then you know, t- I went and visited with Tinkle last season, kind of at the low point of last season. They were in Salt Lake City. They were on a terrible losing streak. The team was splintering. Um, you could tell he was having trouble with the players, and he said, he admitted, he said, we made some mistakes in recruiting. And he pointed to the pandemic, and he said, look, we had to recruit via Zoom. We didn't get time with the guys in person, and we misfired. And, you know, and I think that's a lost opportunity. Now, the team he has this season is young, more likable, plays with more synergy, they're just not as talented as they were two years ago, and they don't have the veteran players. Like, they don't have an Ethan Thompson on this team. And so uh, I think they really have, you know, they stalled last season completely, and they're starting back up. But, you know, I, I, I'm i under no pretense that this team can compete at Oregon State this season, but I think they'll be more fun, more enjoyable. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a really good shot that Wayne Tingle gets another year because of the contract extension he got after the Elite Eight. The whole retooling your roster on a year-to-year basis, something Dana Altman has done, Bobby Hurley does it too. You know, a lot of coaches do it. It just runs in stark contrast to the way the whole college basketball system is built, right? Because the selection committee relies on those net rankings and all your quadrant wins and losses – But the net rankings are based on how you do in the non-conference play. It's based on November and December. Those two months have an outsized influence on a conference and specific teams in terms of how well they're going to do on Selection Sunday. And if you have overhauled your roster every year, like some of these coaches do, it is hard to have the continuity to win early in the season in those non-conference games. And then you end up falling behind in the net rankings and you can't catch up and it affects the conference because of the multiplier effect. Your the PAC 12 ceiling is lower because there were so many non-conference losses. The PAC 12 won uh, 63% of its non-conference games. That's terrible. And I think a lot of it has to do to a lack of continuity because of all the transfers. And, and, you know, I just think 
They got to figure out, these coaches have got to figure out a way to have their teams playing better in November and December to take advantage of the net rankings and make it work for work for them instead of working against them. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because, you know, Oregon's got a four-star recruit that is uh, an in-state recruit in Jackson Shellstead, and he made some news in the last week as, you know, he, he played really well as his high school, West Lynn High School, beat Duncanville and beat Sierra Canyon, uh, Bronny James' uh, team. And Dana Altman was at both games, and he was in that gym because that tournament has all kinds of, uh, you know, four- and five-star players playing in it. But I just think it's it's a correction for Oregon. They sure miss the reliability and the in-state kid who is going to be part of your program and attract other player, other good players the, the way that Peyton Pritchard did a few years ago. And I know Dana Altman, the temptation is to go out, you get to a Final Four, you go out, you get five-star guys, but, you know, you're getting players that have played at four and five high schools. They're not interested in being on your campus for more than six or eight months. And I think that's really plagued Oregon in the wake of, you know, you want to talk about a Final Four appearance in the not-too-distant past, like Oregon was in a Final Four and and, uh, have just fallen off since then. You think Altman's close to retiring? The only thing that I think could drive him to retirement is the like last season and this season, the way that it's gone. But he keeps saying that he's energetic, and I think he is one of these people that this is what he does. Uh, I don't think he's a golfer. I don't think that he's uh, you know a guy that is you know like dying to go retire. I think Dana Altman probably wants to coach a couple more years, and I think he probably wants to go out on a better note than a team that is middling around five hundred and. Last season, I could tell at the end of the year, like I don't often say this, I think he hated his team. And I mean that like with all due respect. I just think he wasn't getting a lot of transfer from practice to games. Uh, he was sort of, he sort of looked fed up with his team by the end of the year. And I think he's getting more of the same this season. All right. I got a question for you. Slightly different topic here, though. Let's say on June 30th, day USC and UCLA announced they're leaving for the Big Ten. If I told you on June 30th, six months later, Pac-12 would still not have a media rights deal, not have a grant of rights contract, and not have made a decision on expansion. Six months later, would you have been surprised? I would. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised because I expected something in November. I expected something in early December. And I get why it didn't happen. And I get the role that the UC Regents and UCLA played in that. And I understand that. The Pac-12, you know, isn't bidding against anybody else or nobody else has uh, got their rights up for bid. So, you know, there's no urgency to it. But I would have been surprised mainly because I felt like the Pac-12 needed a victory in that area and it hasn't materialized. And so I am eager to see where they land. And in the end, I'm sure it's going to be fine. But I would have anticipated something in November or December based upon you know, all of the confusion and the doom and gloom of June and, you know, people reporting nationally the imminent demise of the conference and creating all these graphics that look like the earth was, you know, cracking open beneath the Pac-12's feet. And so I, I just think from a PR brand perspective, I expected a win. I, there hasn't been one yet. Uh, now I'm looking, hey, we're in January can this get done in January? If not, can it get done in early February? Like, I do think they still need to get to that finish line in a way that is meaningful and makes everybody feel like this conference is still galvanized and healthy. 
I, I think they need to do it soon. I disagree with the notion that there's no sense of urgency, to be honest. I, I think they, they need to get it done soon because we know one thing. It's, you can't make any assumptions about college sports, right? And realignment it comes when you least expect it. They weren't expecting it last summer and it hit them. And it may, uh, there's no, when you think about it logically, there's nothing going on, right? The big, big 12 is not going to be able to offer the transformative money to anybody. The big 10 doesn't seem like there's enough votes uh, at this campus level. And there's not enough money at the network level for the big 10 to continue to expand. Uh, so logically it tells you, eh, there's not really any options out there for, for, uh, you know, dissolving the Pac-12 or forcing the Pac-12 uh, to break up. But that's exactly when realignment strikes is when you don't expect anything. And when there so doesn't it's like you're watching any, a movie, there's no icebergs it, it, on the quiet. horizon. <laughs> you there's know, no, there's no icebergs on the horizon. And that's when there's one that rears up out of the out of the ocean, out of the North Atlantic and sinks your Titanic. Right. And so the, I think they need to be have some urgency here. Uh, I think I can understand the region's deal, but they need to get this thing done. Yeah, I, I agree that they need to get it done. I also think like Kevin Warren's all the news we saw about him interviewing for the president job of the Chicago Bears. Like, like I, I kind of think he's done what he can do in the Big Ten. The fact that he was interviewing for that position tells me that. And so I, I don't think that there's an imminent threat to the conference. But the, this is a conference that needs a win. It needs to be proactive. It needs to celebrate and take a victory lap, close a meteorites deal, disperse the money, tell your members to go spend it, and then move towards, hey, here comes the NCAA tournament, and here comes uh, spring football, and you know, before you know it, we will be seeing Washington and Oregon and Oregon State and USC and Utah, you know, kicking off football games and, and Coach Prime and all that. So there's a lot to talk about in this conference. And on that note, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. The Konzano and Wilner podcast comes to you and will pop up on your mobile device if you are subscribed. And make sure you share it with your friends, family, and other interested Pac-12 parties. Uh, I'm John Konzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with the great John Wilner. Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. Wilner, love doing this podcast with you. It's going to be a big 2023. Yeah, we know it will not be boring, uh, either the winter or the or next fall. It is not boring these days. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. I hope everyone had a happy and safe holidays. And uh, we can't uh, thank you enough for joining us for the ride here in 2023.